I remember, you know, just feeling conflicted about wanting to become a mother because um, there didn't seem to be that many examples when I was in grad school. There's a lot more now of women professors that balance both being um, a mother and a professor. Hey guys, welcome to Let's Talk Wiki USC. My name is Belinda Garana and I'm a PhD student in chemical engineering at USC. And my name is Amber and I'm a junior in chemical engineering with a focus in sustainable energy at USC. Wiki USC stands for Women in Chemical Engineering at USC and provides professional development, community networking and outreach for women in chemical engineering and their supporters. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Candice Leslie Abdulaziz. Dr. Abdulaziz is from South Carolina. She graduated cum laude with a BS in chemistry at Temple University and later continued her education pursuing a PhD from the University of Pennsylvania. She spent some time between degrees working as an industrial chemist at Sunoco Chemicals, analyzing petrochemical products and waste, and as a forensic chemist with the Philadelphia Police Department. Dr. Abdulaziz currently works as a professor at the University of California, Riverside, where she is the head of the Sustainable Catalysis and Materials Group, which researches the design and synthesis of catalysts for biomass conversion, environmental pollution, and carbon capture utilization and storage. Dr. Abdulaziz, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Belinda and Amber, for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. Of course. Now, I know um, Belinda just introduced you, but some things we both were really admiring before the podcast. Um, is how you've been able to thrive and kind of been at the cutting edge throughout your career. So you were named one of the most innovative students at the University of Illinois at Urbana Campaign in Champaign in 2016. So, and then also you received an NSF I-Corp grant for your startup, Nardo Technology. So we kind of were wondering what you thought were important factors that helped you succeed both in the academic and the industry side of your endeavors and kind of talking a little bit more about that. Yeah, I, so I, I can de definitely delve into that and, you know, sort of like dabbling into entrepreneurship and graduate school and how I'm still pro entrepreneurship even now as a professor. Um, so I, before I went to graduate school, um, after I graduated at Temple University, I decided that um, I just wanted to kind of travel and work and, you know, do all these things, buy nice things. And I had no interest of going um, straight into graduate school. Um, so that experience, I worked at um, uh, the Philadelphia Police Department as a forensic scientist, but before then I worked as um, a refinery or analytical chemist at um, Sunoco Chemicals in Philadelphia. 
And I would say both of those experiences has actually um, influenced, you know, how I've developed the Sustainable Catalysis and Materials Group at the University of California Riverside, and also in my entrepreneurial pursuits as well. Um, so you mentioned like the, you know, the most innovative student and also um, getting the NSFI core, mm -hmm. the creation of that company, Nardo Technology, was actually based off of my experience as a forensic scientist at the Philadelphia Police Department. Cool. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I noticed, you know, as you know, as we are like engineers and scientists, we notice like a problem. We are, we certainly have the skills to solve them, and I didn't really get those skills until I got to graduate school at um, the University of Illinois, and there I was like, well, maybe I can develop a better sensor. And my idea was then to convert a smartphone into a chemical sensor that can then be used by police officers to sort of improve the tests that they already use while they're out on the beat, so to speak, um, and, and help them with identifying potential drugs that they may encounter. And, and so that's the motivation of why I started Nauter Technology. And because I had that idea and I was pursuing that idea at the University of Illinois, that's how I got that award for most innovative student. Wow, that's really impressive. We'd love to hear more about how you ended up as a professor. How did your studies and industry experiences influence your career path? And uh, when did you figure out that you wanted to be a professor? Yeah, um, so be I think because I had that um, industrial experience where I worked for five years prior to graduate school, I already knew that I didn't want to go back to industry after I graduate. So I was like, I'm going to get my PhD. And there's two things that I would like to do. Either it's to start a company or to become a professor because I like the idea of being independent and pursuing um, like your own ideas with, you know, out, you know, really any major restrictions. Um, so I had any, I didn't have any like preference to go into industry. It wasn't until I would say my final year in graduate school where I had to really make that decision of you know, do I pursue entrepreneurship and, you know, follow where neurotechnology may take me or do I become a professor? And ultimately I decided to become a professor um, mainly because becoming a professor, I can have the, the best of both worlds where, you know, there's, there's a number of examples where there's, you know, professors that teach at the university, they have research at the universities, but they also start their independent companies as well. Um, and so I thought, you know, if I go this route, this career route, then I'm not, you know, um, restricting myself in the entrepreneurial pursuits that I'm still very interested in, I can still do both. And so that's really what um, influenced me um, to, 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 to be where I am today. That's really interesting. You know, I feel like I relate to you because I um, have also been interested in being a professor, but, you know, someone who has some experience in health innovations myself, um, I just, I 
struggle with work-life balance already as a graduate student and um, <laughs> I just felt like it would be so intimidating to balance both professorship and um, entrepreneurship and so I was just wondering, do you feel like you have work-life balance and what does that look like for you? Oh yeah, I, I definitely have work-life balance and um, I think what's really helped me with balancing, you know, this is when I do work, this is when I enjoy my life is really when I became a mother. Um, you know, I'm a, a mother of a two-year-old and so like I absolutely enjoy my time playing with her um, and, and then just watching her develop. And so I would say prior to being a mother, I was actually like a workaholic. <laughs> and, you know, I just wanted to um, work all the time. You know, even when I'm resting, my mind is always moving, um, you know, thinking of ideas and things like that, or I'm reading or something like that. But being a mother has really helped me sort of just, you know, take a breather, just enjoy, you know, not everything is as serious or needs to be done immediately. Um, you know, this is really important, you know, enjoying this part of life. And so I think um, as a professor now, I absolutely do have work-life balance. Um, it's something that you have to work on yourself um, and, and ensure that you can do that, not only to, um, not only for um, your, um, your, your own goals, but for your, men your mental state too, or, or emotional health, mental health as well. You just need a break, right? And so you have to um, have that, that, that work-life balance. Um, and I think it, it helps you become a well-rounded professor in the long run. That's great to hear. Um, so what does a typical day at work look like for you? It actually varies. So um, as a professor at a research one university, um, I think there's this sort of notion that uh, professors teach most of the time. And that's like our major or primary goal. However, we do a number of things, and I would say mostly at a research intensive university um, at University of California, Riverside, um, research is the main thing, and I could say it's probably two thirds of my job. And amongst that research, um, I'm not performing the research myself, but I'm mentoring graduate students, whether they're masters or PhD students in doing that work and becoming independent researchers themselves. Um, and so a part of my job is mentoring and um, making sure that students can understand and solve different problems um, on their own independently. So by the time they earn their PhD, um, they can go out into industry, they can go and become entrepreneurs or, or, or go into business or do whatever. Um, but it's really help, um, helping them build their critical um, skills that they need. Um, uh, so any given day, I'm a mentor. Um, I'm also teaching as well. Um, I teach undergrad um, classes, whether it's catalytic reaction engineering or um, it's separation processes laboratory. Um, so I do have teaching responsibilities as well. 
Um, and then um, if I'm not doing that, then most of my time is really writing, okay? <laughs> so they never tell you that being a professor, you write a lot. And here's why. Well, writing is because we have to write the publications. So after my students finish a study, then they work on a manuscript or we'll work on it collaboratively. And, you know, we submit these publications and it's a, a way of communicating to us, other science professionals like, hey, this is what we're working on. In addition to that, it's also building their portfolio and their CV or resume so they can get hired. Um, in addition to that, we also have to apply for grants to fund our research groups. And so this is a lot different than entrepreneurship where you might um, approach like a venture capitalist, for example, for money to fund your venture. But when you're running a research group, you have to write grants and, and, and um, proposals to get your research group funded. And this can, um, and the amount of money that you can get varies from, you know, maybe like a half a million to a million um, to support your research group and to support the graduate students that are working there. Um, so yeah, any given day, it can be something different, but it's, it's a, it, it could be a, a whole smattering of either mentoring, uh, research, writing, or teaching. So that's, that, I, that's what I would say is a typical day or week <laughs> for a professor. Right. Thanks for going through all of that. That's a lot when you... <laughs> This it all have to each other. Yeah. Um, so with all of that said, what do you enjoy most about your work? You know, I, I really enjoy the research aspect. Um, I really um, like learning something new. I I've always have. I mean, that's why I'm, um, you know, got into science in the first place. You know, that feeling of discovery and kind of being in the forefront of it. And then on the flip side, I'm, I also really in, enjoy engaging with students, both undergraduate and graduate students, and just um, mentoring or just talking with them um, and, and just um, being sort of um, an educator. I, I really enjoy that feeling of them learning something new um, in that you're, you're helping them to, to, to some sort of goal. So. Um, I would say those are the most enjoyable things uh, about my job. So on the flip side, what kinds of challenges have you faced in your career and how do you stay motivated? Oh gosh, there's so many different challenges. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, I think, uh, so one of the initial questions that you asked was work-life balance. And I remember, you know, just feeling conflicted about wanting to become a mother because um, there didn't seem to be that many examples when I was in grad school. There's a lot more now of women professors that balance both being um, a mother and a professor. It just seemed like it, it just wasn't conducive to that. And so I think um, one of my initial challenges was actually trying to establish that work-life balance in, in, in allowing myself to set out time to just be a mom and just to live my life and not just, you know, do all the duties that I listed previously for, for being a professor. 
Um, so, the, you know, that was, that was a particular challenge for me. Um, in addition to that, reason why I found it challenging was because I had examples of women colleagues who, who actually, um, you know, having a child was detrimental for them, whether it was like the outlook of their advisor towards them or, or something like that. It, you know, those were like sort of the major challenges um, that I saw um, being a, a woman professor at sort of the, 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 the way that you will be received by your colleagues kind of thing. Um, so those are, I would think, the challenges that I have faced. Um, however, I think the way that I stay motivated is that I no longer look at that. Um, I think it's also important to have thick skin, um, even though, you know, um, there's some things that still may go through. And I think for me, I just, um, you know, I just go throughout my life just um, thinking, you know, this is for me, this is how I'm going to do it. And, and maybe I haven't seen this example before, maybe I can just be the example. Um, but I think in the long run, this, as long as I'm happy doing what I'm doing, um, you know, I, I really kind of don't really face um, or, or care about those particular um, challenges anymore. Um, so those are particular challenges in respect to being like a woman in, in engineering discipline. Um, other challenges that I'm facing now <laughs> as a professor is actually like trying to get your proposals funded, right? That's one of the most initial things um, that you want to do um, as an assistant professor or, or where you're starting your research group, you want to get funding. And so um, that's a particular challenge for me now because, you know, I'm trying to learn how to write the proposals right with the right tenor, with the right audience. Um, so that's a, a, a unique challenge as a professor, but, you know, one that everybody goes through when they're just starting out. That's really inspiring how you've, um, you know, grew on that skin, <laughs> thick skin that you mentioned. Um, I relate a little bit as a PhD student that um, writing skills are really important in academia. And um, so I really appreciate you talking about these challenges in particular for women in engineering and um, for women who wanna have a family um, in academia. I think it's really important that we talk about these issues and you know bring light to them, um, it, I think it's the first step in tackling these issues. So thanks for being open about them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of switching gears now a little bit. I'm currently a junior in my undergrad studying chemical engineering and a lot of the members of Wiki are also undergrads. So just kind of for that, undergrad perspective how did you find graduate school different from undergrad what did you take away from it kind of like what did you see as the major pro when you were making that decision to go to graduate school yeah um so yeah i think graduate school is very different from undergrad um you know i didn't know that going in i knew that i wanted to pursue research 
Um, but certainly like when you're undergrad, um, you're given like a curriculum and you have to take these courses and then um, you have to show that you have um, either learned something or learned how to get an A in that class. Um, and, then, and then you move on to more classes until eventually you graduate, right? Mm -hmm. So it's sort of um, merit, a merit-based system where you're, you are, you know, taking these classes, these courses, and then you graduate. Graduate school is much different where um, your success isn't based off of taking these classes anymore, right? It's only, you only take classes in the first year. And if you do take classes, um, they can range from three to like five classes mm -hmm. at most that you need to take in graduate school. And really um, what we're looking for in grad school is now you're developing this independent thought, like you're becoming this independent researcher. And so like the things that you probably learned in your textbooks, now you're probably in your, in your graduate classes or in your research actually either utilizing that theorem or trying to derive that theorem or theory, right? So you're really going further into this. And not only that, I say, probably the best um, skill to have in grad school is to learn how to take failure and learn from it. Because in grad school, you're gonna to have to do this research project. Nobody else has done it before. You know, that's the point of research. And you also will fail over and over again with trying to perfect this um, experiment or, or whatever. Um, and so you have to really get used to failing and being okay with that. And not only that, learning from that failure, maybe it was a mistake, maybe you just did an experiment, was at the wrong temperature, something broke, um, and then do it all over again. Um, so yeah, graduate school is just a bunch of failures until, until you get like one success. <laughs> and, um, and, then, and then you celebrate that success with writing about it for a long time. So um yeah graduate school is, is i would say much different um than undergrad um and i think for me my biggest draw was i always enjoyed research i always felt it i always thought it was challenging and i just really learned about um i really enjoyed learning about something new um for me it was chemistry i you know i wasn't initially a chemical engineer with chemistry and i really enjoyed chemistry um, and I really to to utilize that. So, yeah. Um, so those are, I would say, the major difference between undergrad and graduate school. Okay, interesting. I know definitely for a lot of undergrads, I've been uh, working in a research lab on campus for the past year. So it's definitely something kind of in my mind as I head towards graduation. Um, but it's yeah. interesting to get a bunch of different perspectives about it. Um, kind of with your own research group, I know it's focused on sustainable catalysis, but mm -hmm. a lot of your background, I thought it was really fascinating how you've worked for like the Philadelphia Police Department and have done all this forensic chemistry as well. So coming in with that sustainable focus, is that something like you've always been really passionate about or how do all your different interests sort of tie together? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question because um, I would say I wasn't always into sustainability and 
also whenever I thought about catalysis, I just thought of like petroleum and I just had no interest in yeah. that at all. Um, but, you know, my first sort of introduction to sustainability in or the effects of sustainability was actually when I was, you know, this uh, chemist at the Sunoco Chemicals in Philadelphia. The Sunoco Chemicals in Philadelphia was in, um, in uh, like, in, in an area near a neighborhood. It wasn't near, like, um, a coast or off to the side in a remote area. It was actually in the middle of a neighborhood. And you could actually, if you look at a map of it, you can see, like, houses are close by. Mm -hmm. If you, It's near a major highway. And then across the highway is, like, a playground. So, you know, for me, my first introduction to, like, oh, wow, there's, like, a chemical plant in the middle of this neighborhood what are sort of the systemic effects of that and you know you know while being at the plant I remember human resources like driving me around the plant and telling me about the plant and the history and you know it, we saw like a plot of land that nothing was on and the human resources manager was saying yeah you know we used to have the plant at this particular spot but, you know, we, you know, um, we, we decommissioned those equipment, but now nobody can use this pile of land because it's been contaminated. And I think because of like some EPA regulation, we cannot use this for like at least a hundred years. It was like something <laughs> like that. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, okay. And so that was like my first introduction um, that nobody can use this land, not even the company or the houses or community that is like literally right there. Um, and I was like, okay, so this is, you know, one of the downsides of using petrochemicals. In addition to that, I had to um, analyze water samples. Like that was like the effluent that were coming from the plants. And so these water, you know, might be a part of a process or something. And then we would have to introduce it into the, um, you know, the city of Philadelphia's water stream and then they would treat it. And, you know, analyzing it, we would have like acetone and all these different chemicals in there that was higher than the concentration that they should be that we would then introduce in the Philadelphia um, water stream. And then subsequently it would be treated but I was like oh wow we're also contaminating water we're contaminating soil mm -hmm. you know this is really bad and so you know that was like my first introduction to um thinking of like sustainability because of seeing all of the um sort of the after effects of using like petrochemicals to a, a actual community um and so when I created this um research group at the University of California Riverside, I really like the idea of using catalysts. And, and catalyst, heterogeneous catalysts, by the way, is just nanotechnology or the use of nano, nanoparticles. And catalyzing reactions that will help our society go into a more sustainable direction, away from these petrochemicals, because yes, you know, we are creating these greenhouse gases and, and other things um, that are detrimental, but you know, there's also systemic effects where it's influencing the environment, it's influencing people's health as well, um, their birth rates, their death rates. Um, so there's so many systemic effects for the use of this, you know, resource. I rather focus my attention, focus my skills, develop engineers 
who really think about sustainability and if they're developing a product, they think about the end goal or what's going to happen, you know, after we're done using that product, like how would it influence the environment. So I, um, after that experience, it really had me thinking like I want to approach, you know, material science and catalysis in this way. Yeah, definitely. That's so interesting. I know in our classes right now, we're just going over like the life cycle analysis of different yeah. renewable energy equipment. Um, but that's really cool to hear about kind of as a undergraduate student who is interested in sustainable energy and material science. Um, what kind of advice would you give for someone who's trying to pursue a career in it? Um, it depends on what you want to do. So if you, um, I was just reading an article yesterday about, um, you know, how companies want to become more sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they are looking for like, um, people that will work with them, like being sustainability consultants, like, like uh, analogous to business consultants, but helping them, you know, understand how they can be more sustainable at their corporation or how they can have their chemical processes um, become more sustainable, whether it's, you know, generating less waste or, um, you know, less heat um, input or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, in particular, with that instance, um, you can ha absolutely have an engineering background, um, but, you know, it was the use of this engineering with the business concepts that can help with um, getting into this sustainable consultant um, role, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but to really get into, like, environmental engineering positions, or chemical engineering positions that promote sustainability. I think that graduate school is important. I'm not sure if like getting a PhD is necessary, but trying to hone in your skills and trying to perfect, um, you know, what area you want to pursue, whether it's like water sustainability or air or, um, you know, uh, or, or other things like that, like uh, uh, waste recycling or waste upcycling. Um, I think it is important to to try to try to hone in on in one area and try to try to perfect that area, maybe through graduate school. Okay, cool. Just kind of going off that, when undergraduates looking into graduate school, I guess coming from the engineering side of things what would be the biggest difference in kind of the experience you're gaining between like a master's and a PhD? Yeah, it depends. Um, so it depends on what master's you're getting. Mm -hmm. If you're getting um, a master's of science with no thesis option, meaning you don't have to do a research project, then you could think of it as just doing additional coursework. They're just advanced graduate level coursework but you might be doing like eight to 10 classes okay. um, do it without a thesis option. The other option is you can do a research thesis and you might do less courses, maybe half of that, um, half of the eight to 10. And then the other half is you just going in the laboratory or, um, or you know, doing like a, a research project, whether it's computational or experiment. 
Um, so that's the, um, the master's program for MS science or, or master's in engineering. If you wanna go into business, like get an MBA, that's more like you, uh, it's really a turning you in your head because now um, you get case studies and you're learning how to um, solve particular problems. It's basically like problem solving school <laughs> um, MBA. So um, yeah, it, it, it varies, but you know, those are the, 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 the three different um, differences between those, those three. Okay, cool. That's definitely good to know about, especially looking into graduate school and all the different opportunities that are available. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Dr. Abdulaziz, for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. I really enjoyed talking with you about my experiences, and um, I hope it helps encourage you know, more students um, to pursue research and sustainability um, and even trying to get that entrepreneurship edge and um, just try to, 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 to rule the world, basically. <laughs> I like that. Um, so where can our students listening connect with you online? Yeah, um, so you can connect with uh, me on Twitter, if you're active on Twitter, at GAA Lab at UCR. Um, you can also visit our website, which is www.galablabatucr.weebly.com. Um, and yeah, you can um, catch us on those, those two things. Wonderful. To our listeners, stay tuned for our next podcast on November 25 with the USC Chemical Engineering alum, Dr. Christine Cheng. You can submit questions for her by November 16 on Twitter with hashtag Let's Talk Wiki USC or by email to wikiusc at gmail.com. For more information, check out our website at wikiusc.com. From all of us at Wiki, thanks for listening.